0: Hello, welcome. Gabby here. This is the Happier Life Project, brought to you by Mental Health and Wellness app, My Possible Self, in partnership with the Priory Healthcare. Now, when it comes to my personal journey towards building a happier life, yoga has completely changed it. In fact, as I record this introduction to the pod two days ago, I returned from Portugal where I completed my 200-hour yoga teacher training. So going back to the title and theme of this episode, the incredible benefits of yoga. I could quite easily sit here for the next 45 minutes and record solo an episode just talking about my own transformational journey with the practice and how it continues to support me. However, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not the only one whose life has been transformed for the better, happier, and way healthier when it comes to yoga. Yoga and mindfulness teacher, James Raphael, who has 800 hours of training under his belt and over 15 years of teaching experience, has made it his mission to share the healing practices of yoga, mindfulness, and Qigong to uplift, energise and enrich his students' lives. I'm a big fan of James's teaching style as you're about to hear and so I asked him to record an episode with me to give you and we're really just scratching the surface here the foundations into why and how yoga is such a magical practice that will benefit our physical, mental, emotional and spiritual health. So, Ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. Welcome, James Raphael, to the Happier Life Project. You're a yoga, mindfulness, and Qigong teacher, and also a writer,
1: I believe. Correct. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I will fangirl first of all and tell you how I found you, which was, ironically, it was on a yoga retreat. I broke my wrist in multiple places, not doing the yoga, but on a quad bike. So I was desperate to keep up my practice because I do love yoga and I found your wrist free classes on YouTube. And I really, really enjoyed them, and also like I still got a really, really good workout because I thought, oh no, I'm not going to be able to do a lot of the positions and stuff. But yeah, you you proved me wrong in a good way there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that the the risk free thing kind of it was totally kind of a happy accident, really. I guess in that in during the period of that kind of first lockdown, I think lots of people suddenly were climbing the walls and trying to you know do more physical stuff, monitor their health. So, everyone was doing all these like body weight programs and loads of yoga. And I think just a ton of people ended up with wrist injuries or wrist strain. Um, mm. So, I developed a few videos for students of mine that, that had happened to because they were doing a lot more than they used to. And it just kind of went from there. And I realized there was a lot of people who needed it. So glad you found it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we're going to dive into yoga today. Let's start with yes yoga is great for physical health but the real magic happens when we practice it for our mental emotional and even spiritual health would you agree
1: completely agree and i think i think there's an interesting piece to say here first and foremost which is that when we think about yoga in kind of a contemporary sense especially in the west or global north however we determine what that is we think of it purely as this physical practice. And really, the yoga poses in the physical practice is just one very small component of the wider philosophical and spiritual traditions. So there's a piece to be said about honoring the history of the cultural traditions and the philosophical traditions of yoga in a way where you know we decolonize our practice. This is a, a hot topic, right? Decolonizing our yoga practice. So As well as this whole piece around honouring traditions of yoga, kind of from a respectful cultural context, I think we're also just missing out if we view it purely as a physical practice, because there are so many other benefits and beautiful ways we can work with the traditions of yoga for mental, spiritual and physical health. And I think if we view it purely as this physical thing, we're shortchanging ourselves and we miss out on a huge Mm. amount of richness.
0: Mm. That's why I actually didn't pick back up with yoga for years because I went to my local gym and thought, oh, I'll give it a go. I mean, this is going way, way back. And I just couldn't connect with it. I just I was bored. I certainly couldn't quieten the mind. I was thinking about all sorts of other things. And then it was during the pandemic where I was really stressed, working crazy hours for a huge corporation. It was eat, sleep, work, repeat. Couldn't really do much because we were all in lockdown, right? And then I thought, I'm going to give yoga another go. But this time around, I found two amazing teachers online. They devoted their life to teaching yoga and meditation versus a gym instructor that had probably done the shortest course they could to get the certificate. And also it was my personal approach to yoga as well that changed. Whereas during the pandemic, I wasn't going into it for the yoga bod. I was going into it for my mental health and you know to help me with stress and and then it worked and I became addicted mm-hmm. so right. there we go and I think but it's not about me it's about you so I'd <laughs> love to know your story
1: okay cool so I, I can share my story but just just kind of echoing what you were saying I think yeah you know I encountered a lot of people a lot of new students a lot of new um you know practitioners during that first and second lockdown I think for the reasons that you're you know articulating Gabby that actually, people suddenly realized, well, what can I do for my mental health as well as my physical health? And then people start thinking about meditation. And then maybe there's more curiosity within yoga and what yoga can offer for the mind and for the heart. And so I definitely saw an uptake um, and a more, I think, a more open mindedness and a, and a greater receptivity, I think um Mm. partly because people were a bit desperate right (laughs) (laughs) I know I was
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. absolutely
1: yeah
0: Yeah, so let's get into your story because it's a really interesting one um you're a very smart Cambridge graduate and then I believe doing a bit of snooping online that you worked in like branding and marketing first
1: correct so so yeah so I you know fresh out of uni Cambridge was a great experience, kind of typical student life in some ways, you know, working super hard, but also partying a lot, typical kind of British student drinking an insane amount. Um, And, you know, at the time it was just kind of fun and it was what I was doing. Um, But I think up until that point, sort of my existence had been very much in this kind of bubble of academia and work. And then I moved to London when I graduated and moved into my first job. And it was a real you know, shock to my system. Um, I found it super hard to make that adjustment. I'd had kind of a history already of some kind of mental health challenges. So as a teenager, obsessive compulsive disorder and physical self-harm, as well as you know, fluctuating bouts of depression and anxiety and panic attacks. And so that was something that was already kind of part of the way that I was. And then coming into the working world for the first time, I think it was kind of supercharged all of that, really. And so very rapidly, you know, I moved into my first corporate job, which was in marketing and branding. There were great things about that, but my sort of flirtation with burnout <laughs> was kind of continual and always dipping into these periods of intense anxiety, stress and panic. Um, and. Like many people my way of dealing with that was i just go out all weekend and just let loose and blow off steam mm. and party that crazy and that kind of gathered a bit too much momentum right and i ended up using a lot of drugs and ended up winding up with different types of substance addiction throughout that process as a way of kind of coping and so i came i actually came to meditation mindfulness-based meditation first and that occurred because like many people, you don't realise you have a problem first. It's usually your friends that realise you have a problem. Yeah,
0: yeah, or your loved ones. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: had a few good meaning good meaning friends who who picked me up um, and said, "I think you need to sort yourself out, mate." Um, and so I I started going to like a, a not a drug rehabilitation service, but kind of a drug management service in Soho, where I was living at the time in London and really just to kind of moderate my using and try to get some control over it it was about harm reduction which was what i really needed at the time because stopping wasn't something i was interested in and one of the one of the kind of peripheral uh, supports that they offered at this service was they recommended meditation Um, and they recommended this really wonderful little place in Covent Garden um, called, uh, I think it's called Inner Space, run by these wonderful uh, Indian ladies. And it's a little tiny bookshop with a meditation room downstairs. And so I started going there and meditating in, in that practice. and it gave me some hint that there was a light somewhere at the end of the tunnel. And so I persisted. And then I started doing silent retreats, which, you know, many of your listeners may have heard of before these 10-day sign-up retreats which were intense quite full-on but kept giving me these kind of tastes of a greater sense of peace and freedom that I could create for myself potentially that I had the power to elicit that within myself if I could kind of focus on it Um, and so as a kind of adjunct to all of this I was then doing yoga at my local gym and I started to kind of put the two things together that the space of yoga, of movement, of using my body and my breath and cultivating awareness through yoga was very similar in some ways to the meditation and the mindfulness practices. And I think I got lucky in a way that I came to meditation first because it always allowed me to view yoga as this complete holistic system for not just physical health, but but mental well-being as well. Um, right. And so for me, yoga has always been another expression of meditation.
0: Mm, wow. I mean, we know it has so many incredible benefits, but I'm still also not quite sure how <laughs> it happens. So I'm hoping you can help me out a bit. And obviously, our listeners and we will probably just scratch the surface today, right? Because it, there's so many different ways that yoga can help us. But I actually looked on, uh, it was the Times of India, and they had a let's say, a top 10. I don't know if these are... I wouldn't necessarily agree these are the top 10, but I thought it was a good jumping-off point um, Mm -hmm. to maybe give anybody listening who's thinking about yoga an incentive. So improves posture, increases flexibility, builds muscle strength, boosts metabolism, helps in lowering blood pressure, increases blood flow, keeps diseases at bay. So it's apparently got a really beneficial effect on the immune system. Increases self-esteem, improves lung function and helps you to sleep better. So those were the sort of core 10 reasons why we should do yoga according to Mm. this um, Times of India. What do you say about that
1: (laughs) to start? Well, I think, I mean, I think that all sounds great.
0: Yeah, it's a (laughs) good jumping off point. Yeah. (laughs) Why don't we start practicing
1: straight away? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, quite, quite.
1: I agree with all those things, you know, ex- experientially within myself, but also within, you know, I've been practicing and teaching within the last 15 years. And over the course of those 15 years, I would say all of those things, to my experiential knowledge, are true and are beneficial. I think probably what we can do when we look at the benefits of the physical practices of yoga, of first, if we look at the kind of physical and yep. keep it kind of rooted in the body, the physical benefits, and then maybe look at...
0: That's where I was going with this. Yeah. Then mental, then emotional. Mm-hmm.
1: So I think purely from just a really practical perspective, if you imagine that you're in your working day and you get an email from a boss or a difficult client and you read the email and there's a sinking feeling in your body, there's a tension that appears in your shoulders, maybe your jaw tightens up and you don't realise it. And your body moves into this kind of contracted shape. Often we yep. curl up, mimicking the kind of fetal position, whether we realize it or not. Often our stress response moves the body into this kind of curled up, hunched in position. And that happens realistically multiple times a day for most of us. You know. <laughs> yeah, right?
0: I'm sure that's um, <laughs> resonated with a lot of people right now. Yeah.
1: So if you imagine throughout your day, you're kind of putting more and more tension and tightness into the body, kind of increasing a certain pattern or a certain shape. We go around like that most of the days in fairness. Um, And we have this illusion maybe that when we go to sleep, that that magically releases from the body and everything washes away. But it's kind of been shown clinically that that doesn't happen. Interestingly, as a side note, especially if you're a side sleeper, because if you're a side sleeper, you're in that same fetal position, you're in that kind of desk you know, hunched position. Not that side sleeping is bad, but it's just a similar pattern that we spend a lot of the day in, right? And now yoga is very interesting because the way that most forms of physical yoga are taught, there's a lot of emphasis on opening through the front of the body. So opening across the chest, um, lengthening and opening through the front of the hips, which are often contracted or shortened when we sit throughout the day. And there's a lot of emphasis on stretching, moving, using active strength, and maybe using passive relaxing stretching to help release a lot of that tension, which is in the body. And okay, so that sounds like it might be a good idea, but why exactly might that be a good idea? If we're habitually constantly in this tense, stressed position, that connection between mental stress, making your body tight and feel stressed, goes both ways so when your body is in a position that is hunched or tight or stressed that also creates a feedback loop into your nervous system and into your brain that maybe you're not safe right now there's many body language experts and very famous talks about this and you can find some very famous uh, ted talks around body language and how particular posturing can positively improve mood self-esteem self-confidence and a state of being in calm control. And so just in that one way, the physical practices of yoga can help release and change those tension patterns. Now there's other more physiological responses that occur within yoga. Your listeners may know or may have familiarity that the breath is a big part of yoga practice, right? And it's again been proven time and time again in many clinical studies that being able to slow down Particularly slowing down your exhale has a positive impact on your nervous system and your sense of perceived threat. If we view stress as this kind of sense of perceived threat, that can be beneficial at times. It can push us into action. But if it's constant, Mm. it can be very overwhelming for the nervous system and for your mind. And so by regulating the breathing, we're able to help create more of a sense of calm and balance in the nervous system, which can help kind of the mental clutter or the mental chatter also settle down. And the third, I guess, Mm. and last component of this, I would say, is around attention, paying attention, awareness. I believe that all yoga practice fundamentally should be about awareness. It's paying attention to what the body is doing, what you're feeling in different parts of the body paying attention to what your breath is doing noticing when it's short and tight or noticing when it's long and slow and free and also being able to notice when you're stressed or anxious because a lot of the time we actually don't realize how stressed or anxious we are it's often when there's a spike but it can yeah. be quite low level in the background all the time and so when we practice yoga we're really sharpening our tool or our muscle of attention, of concentration. And the more we can become aware of what's going on for ourselves, the more power we have to change that, right? Um, this is like a fundamental tenet within mm. talking therapies, right? You know, we bring things to the surface, we pay attention mm. to what's going on in our lived experience, so we can look at it, observe it, and then decide what skillful action or change we might make. So I think in these different ways, yoga can be really beneficial, both to physical and mental well-being, right?
0: Yeah, it still really blows my mind that by putting your body in a certain position or pose, like you can do things like um, help your digestive system, you know, and it's like, well, how does twisting my body in this way mean that, you know, I'm going to be able to digest Mm -hmm. mood better, but it does, right? For
1: sure, and I, this is such. A, I'm so glad you bring this point up, Gabby, because this is such an important and beautiful point. Often, when we think of yoga in a contemporary context, we think about kind of putting your body into pretzel-like positions, gymnastics contortion. Social media gives this, this false impression that that's what physical yoga is about. But actually, yoga is a healing modality. One of the main directions which yoga leads us in is towards a path of healing physical and mental well-being and so there are many therapeutic aspects within yoga there are poses and sequences that are softer and more gentle that can help with digestive symptoms ibs that kind of stuff um, there's certain yoga poses mm. which from a you know an anecdotal and experiential sense really can help with uh, migraine or headache there's also certain yoga poses you can do that can help create a sense of balance if you are feeling really jittery or really anxious or agitated. Certain yoga poses will be better than others for certain things. And there's a whole amazing group of teachers across the globe who are working on things like the practical applications of yoga in kind of managing cancer and cancer treatment, or using yoga as a way to Manage various um, degenerative diseases, so it doesn't have to be, you know, doing a handstand or a cartwheel or something. Mm. Actually, so much of yoga's benefit comes in, in mm. these more um, holistic and uh, heal healing or health-promoting uh, ideas.
0: Mm. Well, just taking that thread and running with it again, when I was doing a bit of research for today's episode, I didn't know this, but um, this was taken for a medical article over time. Yoga's effects are also believed to slow the natural aging process. There is less brain shrinkage in the areas of the brain that process information and store memories. So making yoga a part of our lives can help protect against the effects of aging on our memory and cognition.
1: Mm. And I think, yeah, to my knowledge, that's that's true. And you know, like all of these things, there's studies and then there's robust peer-reviewed studies. And it's sort of difficult sometimes for the average person to pass out which study is kind of a small sample size and which study is a big sample size and with more robust data. Um, but I believe I can't cite them, but I believe yeah. to my knowledge, there are a couple of studies looking uh gray matter in the brain and and yoga or 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 movements impact positive impact on um, maintaining gray matter in the brain people who do lots of juggling um you know juggling became like a popular thing in certain movement circles the last five to ten years because it has such an incredible impact on the brain preserving um, memory function um, your ability to kind of recall things short term and long term and so Again, I think the key component with that is it's about awareness and coordination. It's challenging your brain like, oh, I've got to put my hand here and I have to put my arm here. And all of that's kind of keeping the juices flowing, right? Keeping keeping the brain alive. There's this idea that you use it or you lose it, both in muscle Mm. definition, muscle Mm. tone, but also in the way that your brain works, right? You use it or lose it. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a helpful way of looking mm. at it.
0: Yeah. Well, this came from the Harvard Health website. When you do yoga, your brain cells develop new connections that, and changes occur in brain structure as well as function, resulting in improved cognitive skills such as learning and memory. Yoga strengthens parts of the brain that play a key role in memory, attention, like you're saying, awareness, thought, and language. Mm. Think of it as weightlifting for the brain. I love
1: that. I love that analogy.
0: That came from the Harvard <laughs> Medical website. Yeah. Actually... Okay, so let's sort of dive in a bit more into the the mental health benefits. Relieving depression, reducing stress, easing anxiety and improvement of mood are all like, I think why a lot of people do turn to yoga too, right? I mean, obviously it helped you lots. It's helped me lots as well right. in that respect. and
1: again, you know, from an anecdotal or experiential perspective, 100%. I've probably yet to meet a person who's, you know, practiced yoga regularly for you know a month, two months, three months that hasn't found that there is some mental benefit in there. You know, people, students are always saying to me, like, oh, well, this has really helped with X, Y, Z. And even if it's a small or subtle shift, it's still a beneficial shift that occurs for most people when they practice. I think it's about finding the right style, the right environment, and the right teacher for you. So, if you're listening to some tried yoga before and mm-hmm. thought, you know what, this just doesn't click or work with me, or work for me rather, I'd say give it a second chance, maybe try a different teacher or a different style because it's very, very varied and vast. Um, again, measuring mm. things like depression and anxiety levels, they're kind of often self reported, right? So, the data in these studies is often kind of self reported. And that doesn't mean that it's not valuable actually because i think if you perceive you're less depressed and less anxious that's the main thing right (laughs) that's the most most important thing again i think from my perspective talking about myself uh, for a moment the process of my practice in meditation and yoga through that you know quite painful period in my life where i was still going out every weekend I was still you know using substances still very anxious throughout the week Um, very very chaotic crazy life but I was meditating and practicing yoga within all of that it was all kind of mixed together and there was still a great benefit right there was still uh, I remember there were so many Friday nights when you know I'd be heading on my way home from work I'd be getting that kind of obsessive thought patterns, spiraling brain that comes with different types of addiction, obsessive compulsive um, behaviors. I'd be thinking, right, it's the weekend, I'm going to go crazy, I'm going to go to this. I was so dysregulated and so unsettled in myself. And there would be some weekends Mm. where I would go, I would go to a yoga class, or I would meditate, and it would take the edge off and kind of either help me not go crazy or help me go slightly less crazy. And there were weeks when it just didn't work, being really honest. Mm. It doesn't every single time hit the mark. But even with all all the chaos, there was this deep sense that it was giving me some benefit and it did, you know, it kept me alive. I'm still here, which is (laughs) a testament to the practice because, you know, my using was quite extreme. It was life and death at quite a few junctions. I think my practice helped me survive physically. But really what happened for me was at a point eight years ago... Not only was I able to get the benefits physically and mentally of yoga and meditation, I'd also got to a point where I was strong enough to say, this, this, and this really aren't helping me, they're damaging me, and they're preventing me from being the best version of myself. And I was finally able to put those things down. And when I did that, the positive impact for me, physically, and mentally, accelerated very rapidly not saying that kind of recovery from whatever it is you're recovering from is easy it's not it's brutal but by having a practice by having a consistent history of that practice i was able to confidently move forwards and make these little adjustments and improvements in my mental health to get to a point now where i know i can handle it and really it's the practice that has given me that and that's kind of my hope for anybody who comes to practice that they stick around long enough, long term, that those benefits accumulate. And there's a growing sense of self-esteem, of self-confidence, and knowing yourself well enough to make skillful decisions, and when to not make certain decisions, if that makes sense.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And then just touching as well upon like, the which is very interweaved with mental, the emotional effects. Like yoga can help release grief and stored trauma, can't it, as well? By again putting ourselves in various positions and poses, things that we've been holding on to for years. Again, we might not even know that we're holding on to it or what it is we're holding on to, but then suddenly it's boom, it's like you can you can you feel lighter.
1: A hundred percent. And then So tell you tell you a story. In my my first ever yoga class, um Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I sort of would go there on a weekly basis and it was fairly strong athletic practice and my body wasn't used to the shapes, and I would just pour and pour with sweat. It was so embarrassing. I was like a river. I used to have two mats. (laughs) (laughs) I'd use up one mat, I'd turn it over, and then I'd get rid of that and use a second mat. That's how much I sweated. And my teacher at the time, you know, in wow. a joking kind of sense, would shout across the room at me and say, James, this isn't aqua aerobics. <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> it, was very, it was very, you know, jovial and, and, and fun and, and welcoming the way that he would say it. Um, but I remember in that period just thinking like, yeah, something is something is being released from my body here in a big way. Um, yeah. And then, as you said, I said this kind of tongue-in-cheek now um, because some of my early yoga teachers they would say to me that certain emotions are stored in different areas of the body and so hips and pelvis you know many perspectives from within certain styles of yoga would say yeah grief sadness sorrow stored in the hips and so you get into a very deep mm-hmm. hip stretch a pose like pigeon pose if any of your listeners are familiar with pigeon where you're lying down but with the leg at the right angle mm-hmm. and it's very deep stretch. you kind of know it gabby i'm sure
0: i do it's one of my favorites It's great right <laughs> and it
1: gives you this amazing release and i mm-hmm. honestly for like the first five or six months of my practice i would just sob i would just cry every time i got into pigeon pose and i know this is the case for many people with certain poses we can get these deep emotional releases that hopefully feel cathartic or healing and positive in a way Mm. um and then the other thing which is really funny is uh, you know my calves were very very tight and very sore all the time so i asked my teacher i was like what emotion is this And my teacher was like anger anger gets stored in the calves (laughs) and i'm still not too sure about this one but um wow you know i you know after years and years of therapy i kind of look back and i'm like well yeah i i have had to work with huge amount of anger um maybe that's what it was i kind of have a a tongue-in-cheek view on all of this but for sure like we said earlier these tension patterns that get stored and held in the body when you release them that pathway Mm -hmm. between mind and Mm -hmm. body if you want to look at it that way goes both ways so when you release tension of shoulders it might create a feeling of mental calm and release but it also might release some kind of emotional correlate um, and so it's not uncommon for people, particularly kind of early on in their practice, to get kind of emotional releases or things coming up. And again, provided that the space mm-hmm. is held, you know, in a way where the intention is that it's safe, it's welcoming, that you have permission to do something or not to do something, which is so important, <laughs> it's so important in yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, provided the space is held in that way, many people find these releases welcoming.
0: I split up with a loved one recently and I went to a yoga class, my favorite yoga class, and I sobbed at the end when we were in the final pose. It was just it was like great and also slightly embarrassing, (laughs) but it was, I guess, me releasing the grief, you know. Mm. Actually, speaking of Shavasana, there's a magic that happens there too, right? And everybody say, well, I think a good teacher will say, you know, don't, especially those that teach online, it's like, don't skip this one. But I find that if I've done a, a class, which is like a great class, that I will get tingly. It's like, I suppose it's energy that's like moving around the body, but I've never really known what's going on there. But it's just this kind of magical feeling that I've never felt in any other form of exercise. Mm
1: right and it's it's great to hear you articulate that and so yeah so shavasana which is you know we do our practice say it's an hour's practice physical practice um maybe the last 10 minutes if you're really lucky or five minutes usually we lie down Mm. usually on the back arms and legs spaced out in what we call shavasana just this resting position and there's different ways to consider what shavasana is and its purpose um what I like to think of is it's backing up the hard drive or downloading. So I kind of think of, you come into Shavasana, Ah. it's very relaxing, but it's like, you've just done all this movement, all this breathing, all this awareness, all this kind of what we call interoceptions, kind of feeling inwards to what's here. And that's changing something in your brain, it's changing something positive in your nervous system, in your physiology. Then you come into Shavasana and it's like, your body and your nervous system have a chance to savor, to digest or to kind of download all that information that you've just, um, you know, experienced. And so that's one way that I, you know, to the skeptical, like to, to position it of us. And it's like, you know, backing things up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, I think, mm-hmm. this very important reminder that yes, we can work, we can use effort, but that the importance of rest afterwards should never be disregarded and that in order to get the full benefits of you know the workout or the physicality or the mental component even resting afterwards is a very important part of being able to do the effortful bit well next time shavasana can be taught in a couple of different ways i think more and more these days in, in kind of studios and gyms it's kind of taught just purely as a relaxation you clock out, you rest. If you're lucky, you drift in and out of sleep, and you feel really good afterwards, right? Um, but a little bit to mm-hmm. your point about this tingly feeling, in some kind of traditional lineages within yoga, shavasana, ideally, the body is totally at rest. It's like your body is asleep, or, um, you know, not to be alarmist about it, but shavasana sometimes is translated as corpse pose because the body is as released and as still as a corpse. I prefer sleeping, but. (laughs) So the body, (laughs) the body ideally is totally switched off. So you're not fidgeting, you're not moving. It's about stillness. In some of these traditional lineages though, the mind is absolutely aware you're not asleep. And in the ideal state, the body is completely at rest. And the mind is completely empty. No thoughts. This is the kind of ideal.
0: This mm. is why sometimes
1: people... God, the know, dream, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you have the dream, right? <laughs> Catatonic. <laughs> um, you know, some some people would say that, you know, Shavasana is the, the hardest pose of all, right? That's the common expression. It's the hardest pose of all. Because it's being mm-hmm. completely still in the body, but absolutely present in your awareness without thought or fluctuation um, again ideally Mm. but I think what can happen like you're describing in a resting position after you've moved if you are aware of what you're feeling in the body you'll feel that things have shifted you'll feel tingling in the hands you'll feel the chest feels more open you'll feel maybe the gentle rhythm of your breath or your heart beating in a very gentle measured way Um, And sometimes, yeah, these kind of sweeping sensations. My perspective is Mm. that that's always there. The body's alive with little tingles and sensations all over the place. Just most of the time, we're not present to it. And whether it's shavasana, or whether it's certain styles of meditation, when we're working with the body, more and more we come into contact with that it's this living breathing shimmering i really like this word shimmering in practice it's kind of shimmering of different sensations mm. it's like a dance all throughout your mm. being um and so if you're experiencing that in in shavasana Gabi, great <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's a great sensation but it's also like what is this <laughs> I really liked I saw in your Facebook you posted recently yoga is an act of inward listening. The more we listen, the kinder we become, and the more we can offer that kind kindness outwardly into the world. And yeah, I think about, you know, kindness, compassion. And it's compassion to ourselves as well as others, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And You know, self-care as a terminology has become very popular kind of in recent years. I think what's great in some ways about the advent of social media and and different digital medias is we're more and more aware of the importance of our mental well-being and our mental health. We're more and more Mm -hmm. familiar with this idea of self-care and that it might be a good idea to be a bit more compassionate towards ourselves. And there's many wonderful resources out there that can help us find tools for that. I think yoga is Mm. one of the most profound tools that guide us towards caring for ourselves more, or if the word care is difficult for some people, being a bit more friendly with yourself, kind of making friends with yourself. And so even if we're in Mm. a group class, doing physical yoga, doing different poses, moving, breathing, being aware of different sensations in the body, that is moving us inwards. It's moving us to understand what's really going on for us. Like, what's really going on for you? Rather than distracting yourself and mm. avoiding your life, it brings you back into the center of your life, which isn't always easy, right? There's mm. stuff to deal with.
0: Um, mm, yeah.
1: But this path of yoga is, for me, a path inwards and a path of listening. You know, What is it I really need? do I really need to go to the high intensity, you know, class or actually is what I need to go and do yin yoga, which is very, you know, still and deep and maybe more calming. Is it that I want to commit to all these things I've put in my diary this weekend? Or when I really listen inwardly through my practice, do I realize, oh, you know what? I'm exhausted. That makes it easier to offer that out to other people. I think one, because you're familiar with honoring your own needs. So you become more comfortable with honoring and respecting other people's needs, right? As individual people separate to yourself. Mm. But I think also Mm. by offering ourselves compassion and kindness, we can move our nervous system into a state where we're more regulated, where we feel a bit less stressed, a bit less panicked. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to pay attention to someone else, to love them, to care for them, when we're in this state of contraction and tension and stress and just trying to survive. So if we can look after our own survival, then we can turn our attention to others. And I think, you know, that process happens as a natural byproduct of yoga when it's taught and held in a, you know, a particularly compassionate way.
0: We've talked a lot now about the amazing, incredible benefits of yoga, but as we're drawing this conversation to a close, for the person that's new to yoga and is thinking about trying it, you mentioned gin being really good for that sort of more relaxing, stretching out your body, and it's more sort of gentler than say a vinyasa or a power, but I'd love you to kind of, if you could just sort of give a brief little synopsis of the major types.
1: Sure. So I'll give you kind of a bullet point list from, from my perspective, which might differ from other teachers, but my perspective is this. We can think about if we're talking about the physical practices of yoga and, you know, moving in postures and being in a physical body at the far end of the spectrum, in terms of very intense, very athletic, very physical practices, We have systems of yoga like uh, Ashtanga Vinyasa, um, power yoga. It's typically very athletic, very physically energizing, strong practices. Then, you know, a little bit further along that spectrum, we might have Vinyasa yoga, which, you know, is more like flowing between different poses. Um, It can be very strong, it can also be a lot more gentle. It's kind of a, Vinyasa is kind of a catch all in a way. And then moving towards maybe what we perceive as being gentler or softer forms, you might come across this word, Hatha yoga. Hatha yoga now in a contemporary context is usually not flowing between the poses. You do a pose, you hold for a few breaths, you do another pose. Um, That's contemporary understanding, it differs from Mm. the historic. And then there are modalities and expressions of yoga like yin yoga, which is a relatively recent um, kind of creation, in yin yoga, we're typically on the ground, like kind of not standing, and we'll hold particular poses and stretches for longer periods of time, maybe six minutes, seven minutes, 11 minutes. It's not totally relaxing, because often you know, stretching for that amount of time can be quite deep, but a lot of people find that more mm-hmm. calming or gives them kind of emotional release. It's not athletic. And then further down mm-hmm. the spectrum towards this end in softer versions of yoga still, we might come into contact with what's called restorative yoga and restorative yoga is great because we'll have lots of cushions and blankets and bolsters and we'll lie on them in very gentle supported positions that aren't challenging but are deeply relaxing and restorative yoga teaches us how to rest how to be still how to rest and how to relax and so yoga can fit anywhere on this spectrum as a physical practice Um, There are many, many other styles which I haven't spoken about. My best advice to someone who's new would be this. If you're completely new to yoga, I really recommend finding a beginner's course, if I'm honest, that could be online, or it could be in person. Because in a beginner's course, you'll get more time to go more slowly. Hopefully it will be taught well and you won't just learn about where you're putting your body physically, but you'll learn how we're breathing, how we're paying attention. And that will give you such an amazing foundation Mm. to build the rest of your practice on. And I see this when I get students who are new to me coming into my classes. When someone comes to me who's new to me and they've recently done a beginner's course, it's great because they're not as kind of nervous about what's going to come up You know, I mostly teach vinyasa and they have a certain amount of confidence Mm -hmm. with certain poses, with the breathing. And I feel like they can get a lot more from it, having done a beginner's course. Um, If your listeners can't act as a beginner's Mm -hmm. course, I'd recommend, you know, trying something like vinyasa, which isn't pinned as a power yoga or ashtanga or a very strong practice, just to get a feel for it. And then if you like the strengths that you find Mm -hmm. there, maybe you dial it up and you try a stronger class or maybe you enjoy the more restorative end part of vinyasa where we cool down and we do the shavasana and if you like that maybe you go a little bit more towards Mm. yin and restorative but yeah (laughs) the caveat the last caveat that i would say on this is consider this often we end up choosing a style which expresses the way that we are so type a personality Mm. let's say drive 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 push 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 go 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 everything's hardcore everything's adrenaline everything's cortisol what kind of yoga is this person going to be drawn to usually power yoga great no problem right that's familiar and it's going to be amazingly helpful for them do it go for it but probably what you really need for balance is at the opposite end of the spectrum it's going to be yin and restorative Mm. Mm. That's going to be really hard for this person because they're not used to that. But we have to look at the systems of yoga as a way of balancing the whole, bringing harmony and health and well-being into mind, body and heart. Equally, if we're a little bit more lethargic or we're kind of scared of pushing ourselves or we tend to just have lots of kind of those kind of resting practices, it could be interesting to explore strength, see what that gives you kind of viewing the yang to your yin, I think. Um But beginner's classes in a beginner's course will give you such a great foundation. And I really recommend that.
0: Oh, that's such fabulous advice and great way, I think, to wrap up the conversation. So to find out more about you, the mothership is jamesrafael.com. Correct. So Raphael, <laughs> spelled R-A-F-A-E-L. Excellent. So you conduct live classes um, a few times in the week, and you've also got loads of free videos, and which are on both your website and on YouTube. Correct. And then, for anybody wanting to deepen their practice, you've got a course coming up, right, at the end of the the year.
1: Yeah. So you know, I teach online live classes um, throughout the week, and I have those videos. But um, at the end of this year, starting in December, um, I will be teaching a yoga teacher training um, that's a little bit different. Um, This teacher training teaches, you know, people who are coming on the training, it's a year long, how to teach vinyasa yoga. But it's also very much infused with Mm. mindfulness, meditation, and also some of the Chinese practices like Qigong and Tai Chi. So this training is called Taoist Flow, and it really incorporates what I feel are all the wonderful benefits of yoga All the wonderful benefits of things like Tai Chi and Qigong, if you're familiar with similar practice to Tai Chi and mindfulness based meditation. And it's kind of a complete whole practice. And it's a very thoughtful way to practice. It's the way that I teach really those three modalities. So if people are interested in, learning to teach or training to teach or evening even just deepening their practice that's starting off in december mm-hmm. and with a yoga studio in london called try yoga and you can take the classes the training in person in london or you can do the whole thing online um, so you can go to the triyoga.co.uk website to find out about that
0: Fabulous. So final thing, bringing our conversation full circle, I ask every guest at the end of the episode to set us some homework based on the theme of the episode. So if we are looking at yoga, what is a simple project we can do that will help us on our journey towards building a happier life? If we could take one thing away from today's conversation in terms of like how would we implement something from yoga?
1: So, I mean, for on an individual level for the listener, I would say, you know, getting yourself to either an online class or, you know, being mindful of kind of financial impact of that. There are so many amazing free classes on YouTube. And I would say if you do a class or you do a little bit of yoga through an app or through a website or whatever, and it doesn't work for you, it doesn't feel good give it the benefit of the doubt. Try another style. Try another teacher because it's so incredibly varied.
0: Really good advice. Teacher is everything. And um, yeah, you are uh, a rock star at what you do. So thank you very much, James Raphael. I really, really appreciate today and your videos. I really enjoy your style and I, I think you make it less intimidating as well for people that are newer or a little bit less confident you have a little bit of that typical british self-deprecating humor as well if you know if you wobble or whatever you know we're all wobbling so um yeah that empathy really comes through
1: thank you it's it's been such a pleasure to talk to you honestly thank you so much gabby
0: Thank you, James, and thank you to you for making it to the end of this episode of the Happier Life Project. I'm Gabby, and at the start of the show, I mentioned that I have recently come back from my yoga teacher training in Portugal, which truly has changed my life. And next week, one of my incredible teachers, Berta Koto, who is also an Ayurveda practitioner, will be teaching us all about Ayurveda, one of the world's oldest forms of holistic medicine, which combines physical, psychological and emotional health. Trust me, you do not want to miss that episode either. Now, if you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app, which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening not on the app, but on one of our podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download, so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. If you found this episode helpful, make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. And to find and follow us on social media, we are at My Possible Self, and I've been at Radio Gabby. So please do take care, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.